Radio Drone. Another beautiful episode of Radio Drome with Brad the Voice Jones. <laughs> it is Brad the Voice Jones, not because it's not because of my voice, because I love the show The Voice. I'm sure I'm sure it's the first <laughs> thing on your TiVo, isn't it? Oh God, no! Oh, it's better <laughs> than American Idol. Fuck. Well, and then you can also hear Alex can't fucking show up on time. Jowski is here. I like Sweet Alex better. Suede, I love Easy Mac Jowski. Eating during the show. I'm eating Easy Mac. You want to put the Easy Mac out of your mouth and do the Adam and Eve promo, smartass? All right, let me put it down. If you go to adamandeve.com, you get three free DVDs, free shipping on in the U.S., fifty percent off a single item, and a free mystery gift. You gonna tell them what code they use, smartass? Oh, yeah. The, the Omega most code. important part. <laughs> Drome. D-R-O-M-E. We're going to talk about the film industry in general tonight. We'll, we'll obviously probably be giving a lot of specific examples, but I want to talk about in general, because George Lucas and Steven Spielberg gave that speech this week that has divided the, the film community. And I know Alex and I are on opposite sides, and I'm not really sure where you're going to fall on this, Brad, that basically Spielberg and Lucas have said that the film industry is heading for a giant implosion. They do not see this model being sustainable. And you know what? I tend to agree. I think the film industry has lasted longer on this very shaky model than it should have. Remember like when we talked about Canon, how that was an unsustainable way of doing business, that it was built on bad paper and it was built on deals that were constantly being changed and how we said there's no way that they could have kept that up? That's what I think the film industry is in general. I was having a hard time kind of following a lot of the article. Are they talking about the movie theater experience? What are they really talking about here? Or are they talking about filmmaking in in general? Because I was kind of having a hard time following the gist of what they were really talking about. They're mostly talking about how um, home distribution via streaming and whatnot has affected theaters to the point where they need to create a new model to make theaters profitable. That and that with the, with theaters not being the number one place that you go, a $250 million budget, you're not going to make that back in streaming media, in Netflix, or in just DVD sales. That it is an, an unsustainable model to keep budgets that ridiculously high and expect to make your money back. I don't think that the movie theater experience is going away anytime soon. I don't really see it to be that dire. People still love going to movie theaters. People still love the experience of seeing it on a giant screen like that. I think overall the business is still going fine because it seems like every other weekend we have something coming out that's quote-unquote shattering box office records people are still going to the theater i when i was at the midnight for the purge it was sold out so, a man of steel made 21 million dollars off of midnight screenings alone people are still going i i don't really see it as being quite as dire as these guys are talking about and yeah you do have stuff like bootlegs you do have stuff like downloading but odds are people doing that weren't gonna go see the movie in the theater anyway 
but you also have to factor in that th- there is sort of an audience apathy nowadays. And it was kind of caused by the movie studios themselves in, in a moment of short-term thinking. Like, Brad, when we were growing up, you'd have a movie come out in theaters, and it would be, if it came to video at all, it would <laughs> be a year, eight months to a year maybe, before it came to video, because yeah. network TV was where they wanted to sell it to first, or, or HBO, because they were paying big. And then... They gradually started to shrink that time between theater and home video. The one I remember the most, and this may have happened prior to this, but it was Independence Day. I remember my wife and I saw that opening weekend, and it was only two months later that that was on VHS. They rushed it out because it was such a surprise hit. That, I think, was the beginning of this. Most people I know go, I can wait for video because the the time period has shrunk so much. Yeah, the time period has shrunk, but there's always been people like that who are just going to wait till it comes out on video. But nowadays, the difference there's a difference being that it seems like every week we have a new blockbuster that's come out to theaters, you know, which makes no matter how good a certain summertime movie might be, no matter how good an event movie might be, it's nowadays it seems like it's going to be a lot quicker that it gets out of people's minds because the following week we have something else coming out. The next week there's another big budget blockbuster coming out. Then the next week there's another superhero movie or another action movie. And then a few months on down the road it'll be it'll be out on DVD and people will buy it and there's a lot of there's a lot of big effects heavy mega blockbusters that come out nowadays so it it kind of makes each one seem less important than the other, no matter how good no matter how good they are. That's uh, the exact point. You hit it right on the head there, Brad. People are still going to the theaters to see them. They are still they're still paying tickets to go see them. But yeah, there's a certain level of forgettability, a certain level of short term memory for a lot of them, just because of how heavy the market is right now. And that's what Spielberg and Lucas were talking about. That was one of the other things they mentioned is that all it's going to take is one bad season, one bad summer where every single blockbuster bombs. And that's going to start bankrupting studios and that the studios have the mindset of if we just keep throwing money at this, then people will keep going to see it. So instead of getting maybe 10, $25 million movies, you only get one $225 million movie, and you're you're putting all of your faith in that one, and if that one fails, you collapse. Whereas if you put out 10 smaller movies, you could have three or four of them fail and still come out ahead. I think that with that article, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are correct that there would be a change in how movies are marketed and distributed. But I don't think it's anything as dramatic as they point out. I think they are being unnecessarily cynical. And I mean cynical to, like, the caricature of F.J. cynical. (laughs) So they came up with this article while on their third round of brewskis? Exactly. At the the golden fish head? (laughs) You should have the inside scoop then. They're going off about how, oh, it's going to be a, a Broadway theater model where it's going to be $60 to see a movie and it's going to be a huge event and they're only going to make like 10 movies a year. 
No, I don't think it's going to go to that extreme. But I think there would be a minimal amount of movies, you know, that they're going to promote their huge ones, like Iron Man 3, for instance, which they talk about in the article. That's no different than what they're doing right now. And when you have situations like that, they're always, with budgets being that high, they're always going to play it safe. So because of that, I cannot foresee an instance where a summer or a year or a season goes by when everything bombs. There's no ch- there's no chance that something like Iron Man 3 was going to bomb. There's no chance that the Avengers was going to bomb. Th- there wasn't. Those were going to make money. And so I can't foresee some something like that happening to where everything bombs. But the downside of that is that, like I said, and kind of what they said in the article too, is that that makes companies play it safe a little too freaking much. And I, I think that's the problem. Part of it is playing too safe. Let's just go to something I was talking about on Facebook a week, is, a week or so ago, that look at like 1982 in film. All the diversity of movies, and most of these movies were stuff that were really taking chances. All in 1982, you had... 48 Hours, Airplane 2, the sequel, Amityville 2, Android, Atomic Cafe, Basket Case, Beastmaster, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Blade Runner, Cat People, Class of 1984, Conan the Barbarian, Creepshow, Death Wish 2, The Dark Crystal, Diner, E.T., Eating Raul, Firefox, First Blood, Forced Vengeance, Forbidden Zone, Friday the 13th Part 3, Grease 2, Halloween 3, Inchon, but that's... Yeah, but no one... No one, no one went to go see it, John. The Last Unicorn, Liquid Sky, Megaforce, Missing, Night Shift, Officer and a Gentleman, Pandemonium, Pink Floyd, The Wall, The Pirate Movies, Plague Dogs, Poltergeist, Porkies, Cue the Winged Serpent, Richard Pryor I... Live on the Sunset Strip, Rocky Three, Star Trek Two, Swamp Thing, Sword and the Sorcerer, Tenembrae, John Carpenter's The Thing, Tootsie, the Trail of the Pink Panther, you had Vice Squad, you had White Dog, you had Zapped. I mean, when are you ever going to nowadays with no risk-taking involved see a, a single year with that many diverse films come out theatrically anymore? Well, come, well, I mean, keep in mind, there's still there was still a lot of sequels in there as well, so people still played it. Like but they were pretty diverse sequels. sequels. Well, well, yeah, Halloween three was definitely a risk. Uh, Halloween, and Halloween three was really good. Halloween three is a great movie, a great uh, freaking underappreciated movie is what that is. But but it, but yeah, uh, back then you had you had budgets that weren't nearly as big, and more people were paying to go see movies back then. Correct me on this. When you have budgets nowadays, okay, let's take a look at uh, Man of Steel, which has a two hundred and twenty-five million dollar budget. That's a big budget. What is that translate to an early nineteen eighty dollars? Like, what would like a because okay, Heaven's Gate was a huge, colossal, expensive disaster. Had a forty million dollar budget. When you factor in inflation, what does that translate to now? And what would something like a $225 million budget be like in 1982? $225 million be. Would it be somewhere like between $50 and $100 million? It would be $58 million. $59, rounded up. Okay, okay, yeah. So something like Heaven's Gate with a $40 million budget, which is a pretty rare for a freaking budget back then, especially for that kind of movie. 
would that's nowadays you see every other freaking movie that comes out have something that's along the lines of between a hundred or two hundred million dollars. But because of that, it's like I said earlier, it's usually movies that are always playing it safe. You know, whether it's your superhero movies or superhero sequels, there are. I do like the model that some companies are doing nowadays, and I mentioned this before we went on the air. Taking what I thought of the movie aside, look at The Purge, which has name actors in it. It's made for $3 million, is a hard R horror film. Boom, makes $36 million opening weekend. You could look at like a horror movie that would be like 30 or $40 million, and it would look similar that, than The Purge did. You know, you can make something like that on a small budget. You, you can, and if you keep doing that, your movie can make... 20 million dollars and it's already made its money back and then some oh yeah go back to our canon episode remember glenn and globus they said Mm -hmm. you you pay charlie bronson a million dollars you you spend a million dollars to actually make the movie you make twice that on opening weekend alone everything else is gravy it was like printing money back then Yes, and then n- now when you have something that costs $300 million freaking dollars, and if it makes like $70 million opening weekend, you look at that, you're like, $70 million opening weekend, that's really good. But then like articles will say, this is considered to be a disappointment. Like, really? Then maybe it shouldn't have freaking cost that much. That and you have also, you're underestimating the budgets. The printed budget is the above-the-line budget. Mm-hmm. None, none of that stuff, when you see, oh, this movie costs $200 million, that's all just the above the line. That doesn't factor in actor salaries. That doesn't factor in the director's salaries. That doesn't factor in the 12 rewrites on the screenplay. That doesn't factor in the pre-production artwork that was canceled. That's just what it costs to make the movie uh-huh. once they entered into it. And that also doesn't count, that also doesn't calculate promotion. A movie that, say, cost $200 million, I think it was for The Lord of the Rings, they said, these movies cost X amount of money, plus another $100 million or so in promotion. So mm-hmm. these movies are actually more expensive than what we're talking about. Really? Yeah. 30 years ago, 1982 was a lot different than 2012, where the method of distribution is completely different for movies. In 1982, VHS was still rather new, so most people saw their movies in theaters Uh versus nowadays where you have such a huge focus on home distribution not just through dvd but through a huge variety of streaming outlets and on demand and whatnot so theaters have felt the impact of that and i presume there will be a greater focus on on demand kind of movies well but then that also like one of the things spielberg talked about in the article was The fact that Lincoln, he said no one wanted to distribute it. They basically saw this and said, no one's going to go see this. He said it was this close to being an HBO movie, an HBO original, because because no one wanted it. But but that's the problem with Brad's, everyone wants to just see these, these spectacle movies. You can't get anything in a theater nowadays that's not a spectacle movie. How yeah, many, it, I was going to say, how, how many different TV movies and documentaries have you seen about Abraham Lincoln? A documentary about, well, a biopic of Abraham Lincoln isn't a safe picture. No, it's not. And I think the fact that it did make money, honestly, is kind of a fluke. It was, it, it had, but that, that particular one 
managed to have some high anticipation to it. It had really good marketing. You had Daniel Day-Lewis as your lead. You had Spielberg as your director. That movie had been in pre-production so long. I was hearing about that movie back when Liam Neeson was still the star of it. it so that movie had had hype that maybe any other movie about Lincoln might not have had. So it, it, that one at least had that going for it. But to be fair, I, I, I think Lincoln might be a specifically bad example. But I think what his point was, if I'm not reading too much into it, is a movie like The English Patient uh-huh. would not come out today in a wide theatrical release because oh. there is not an audience for a quiet, thought-provoking, even though English Patient is boring as fuck, you know, but it, it's a quiet non-bombastic movie. People want to see shit blowed up real good. That's what we paying $20 a ticket for, boys. Well, a movie like The English Patient could very much still come out now. It would just be much more of a slow burn than it was back then. It would be something that starts out released in select cinemas, which, you know, even back when, a lot of mainstream stuff started out in select cinemas and then spread across to, uh, to different theaters. So a movie like The English Patient would would most likely be released sort of like that nowadays. But because because people still want that theatrical experience of your stereotypical Hollywood blockbuster, because of that, I don't see the theatrical experience really ever going away. Yeah, it's going to limit what kind of movies are going there because people are spending so much freaking money. There's new blockbusters coming out every freaking week so yeah you're gonna see your well we already are and we're gonna continue to see mainly a lot of safe movies and not a lot of risks the but there's still going to be theaters there's still people are still going to go to the multiplex to see stuff it's just that some of your riskier movies uh some of your harder edged movies odds are it's probably going to start out on on demand or or it's going to like Spielberg pointed out, go to cable. He said the, the cable TV shows are where all the risks are being taken nowadays. People are not taking risks with movies anymore. They're taking the risk on basic cable, on FX, on HBO, on Showtime. That's where the risks are being taken. And they're I, I worthwhile think, risks. They've made some good movies and good TV shows through there. But, Abs- absolutely. Yes, because oh, you I'm not ha- disagreeing at all. But yeah. you've also got the fact that People are also citing like Arrested Development. Hey, this show can make it being internet only. And I think Arrested Development is a really poor example of that because that already had an established fan base. And also the fact that Netflix, after they released Arrested Development, said that, oh, this is the only time we're doing this. We're not doing this with any other show ever. Yeah, but but then you've got other ones that jump on it, like Amazon. Amazon did that horrendous Zombieland TV series... Did they even make a second episode? Because yeah, I watched they made, that first they, one and hated the hated the hell they, out of it. They put no money into it. How do you expect to grab a new market when you don't do anything? It's even like the early days of cable. Brad, remember when HBO started doing original programming with Hitchhiker, Ray Bradbury yeah. Theater, and First and Ten? Absolutely. Those things were so ridiculously low budget uh-huh. that it was like they were even saying, we want to do this. But we really don't have a lot of faith in it to really give you the money to do it right. <coughs> we'll, we'll just see if the quality of the product builds. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the original net shows are. 
They want to do it. They want to make this the new go-to market, but nobody wants to actually put any money into it. Well, there's, there's also always going to be an audience that doesn't like watching stuff on the internet, because I sure as hell don't. I do not like watching stuff. On, the only time that I ever watched a movie or something on my laptop is when I'm writing something for the snob. Like, leisurely, I hate doing that. Like I like there's I th- there's always going to be the audience that is going to prefer to watch it on their TV. Yeah, there's a reason I own a high end widescreen television with surround sound and things like that. It's not so I can watch things on my computer. Yeah, well, see, yeah. see, that's why I got the high end HD TV that also plugs into my computer. I I just go the <laughs> kind of cheapo. You know, I grew up on VHS. T- you know, taping the shows and watching them later. I throw it on a flash drive and watch it through my 360. Yeah, and they've they've actually yeah that's that that's a really good point because they've really made that accessible to people like us who prefer to watch it on a TV set. You can you can plug in a flash drive into the uh, into your freaking TV. You can hook your laptop up to your TV and essentially use your your set as as your freaking monitor. You know, so they do they do they do certainly accommodate that, which is. It's it's a point in their favor because they certainly know that there's an audience that prefers to watch stuff on a television. I've made a point of keeping my computer next to my TV for that exact same reason. Yeah. But do you think, though, with, with the popcorn movies and, and, you know, the spectacle movies, that they are, I mean, let's face it, they're getting dumber. That You know, like you pointed out, Brad, they're taking less chances because these movies have such large budgets. They have to be made for everyone. You know, you can't just cater to a certain, like, this can't just be made for sci-fi fans. It's got to be made for your everyday person, too. So, do you think that people are going to get burnt out? That they're going to go, eventually, I'm sick of the, these movies insulting my intelligence because because uh, Chucklehead over there won't understand the reference, so you have to lay everything out in the plot for me and talk down to me? I'll just stick with independent cinema where they respect my intelligence instead of insult it? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that kind of movie will go away anytime soon. I read an article recently talking about how the, how they think that eventually the uh, the superhero genre will die out, and they, they basically traced it back to how New Hollywood died, in that you have all of these series of successful movies, but then there will be that one mega, 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 mega bomb that completely ruins it for the rest of them. It's it's a different world now than it was back then. Because now, yeah, you might have a colossal flop, like a Green Lantern. For every Green Lantern, there's about ten Iron Man 3s. You know, you've got Iron Man 3, you got Dark Knight Rises, you got, I'm sure, Man of Steel is going to do just fine. Thor's going to do just fine. And And you know what? As long as the movie's good... As long as the movie's good, I'm fine with that. I am. I I like the Iron Man movies. I liked Avengers. I think a spectacle movie can be really fun. And I think that when there's one, obviously this doesn't happen all the time because look at how much freaking money that the damn Transformers movies made. That was going to be my example of of insulting your audience and then them somehow loving it for for doing it. Um, But, you know, every now and then there will be one Every now and then there will be one where the audience is like, you know what? No. Like Battleship. Look Except at Battleship made a bunch of money. Yeah, it's considered 
by by movie studio standards, it's considered a flop. Like it even took down. Like they were going to make other board game related movies that they canceled because that was considered a huge disappointment. Tic Tac Toe, Tick Mary's Toe, and it's a Romeo and Juliet style movie. Yeah. I'm what's looking forward to Ridley Scott's take on Monopoly, though. Yes. <laughs> no, Uwe Bowles. Absolutely. But no, I, I see what you mean. But at the same time, like when home video really kicked into gear, like in the post Pulp Fiction era, where you had home video targeting each specific niche. You had movies made for sci-fi fans. You had movies made for horror fans. You had movies made for Tarantino fans. You're not even really seeing that in the home video market anymore. Even well, on home video, they're, they're making it for, well, this might be for sci-fi fans, but we need to make it accessible for maybe your average guy at the red box who just thinks the cover art is neat. Well, you see it. You do still see that in the on-demand market. Gosh, unfortunately, I just don't go to the video store that much anymore. <laughs> I haven't set. I haven't set foot in 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 one since the family video got rid of all their VHSs and went full DVD. I'm like, eh, I can bootleg all these easily. I don't need to go to you. I mean, maybe that makes me a hypocrite, and in, in so <laughs> because of some things that I've that that I've said. About you know we're talking about movie theaters dying, but you know we're we're kind of letting the video store industry die. Uh, but but people but with that being said though, people do still like going to the video store. We still have a pretty thriving video store market here in Springfield, largely because of the video game market. Because whenever I go to the video store anymore, it's for video games. And honestly, I would probably go to the video store more if I wasn't at the theater every weekend seeing what comes out. You brought up video games. Do you think that 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 is eating into some of Hollywood's budgets as well, or Hollywood's profits? Because I've heard so many executives bitch about how, well, everybody is playing Call of Duty this weekend, so they're actually now timing their releases. Well, Call of Duty 119 comes out this weekend. We don't want to open our movie because everyone's going to be playing Call of Duty. That video games are, they're fighting for the same audience. I think that's slight paranoia. I do. Because I remember they worried about that. I think it was the first or second Iron Man when, like, the, uh, maybe it was the first, I think it was the first Iron Man. Whenever, uh, I think, uh, yeah, one of the Grand Theft Auto games happened to come out that weekend. And there was some worry, there was some paranoia that Iron Man was going to be a disappointment because it happened to come out when Grand Theft Auto was coming out. And you know what? It still made a boatload of freaking money and was a giant freaking hit because fans who are comic book fans who are also video game fans will put down their remote to go to go see an Iron Man movie. They'll put down the remote to go see Iron Man on the big screen. So I I consider that to be just slight paranoia on the part of the studios. Matthew Buck, Film Brain, posted on Twitter the other day about this same article saying that the problem is not with the distribution, it's the publicity. And I completely agree with him on that, that you can release a movie direct to streaming or direct to DVD and make bank off of it if you publicize it, if you get the word out there that, hey, there's this great movie available at the Redbox. Because I watch a lot of episodic television shows like game of thrones or dexter for instance and every single episode makes a point of telling you where 
and how you can watch previous episodes. That it's all about the publicity. If you tell people it's available, they'll watch it. But do, do you think that sometimes... Now, we have to point out that George Lucas is one of the people in the article that we keep talking about who's saying these things. Maybe he has a little less credibility than he should based on that whole you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain that he is so hated. Do you think that's why there, there might be so much pushback because of the way he really raped star Wars and, and the way he's hated in the fan community? Cause I've got a great quote from him. Well, the other thing is George Lucas still made money off of star Wars. He at least knows how to market a movie. Right. Yeah. I've got a quote from him in 1988. George Lucas said, People who alter or destroy works of art and our cultural heritage for profit or as an exercise of power are nothing more than barbarians. And that's exactly what he does. He So I think it, it's kind of like that even if Bill O'Reilly is telling the, the, the pure truth, he's been caught lying or fucking you over so many times you can't believe it. To mm. me, the fact that this is George Lucas and not someone like, say, David Fincher or Oliver Stone, it kind of takes some credibility away from what he's got to say, doesn't it? Or well, I think, I think if they want to do something really risky, they can afford to make a $3 million risky production and put it out in theaters and see how it does. Their movie doesn't have to be $100 million. It doesn't have to be $200 million. People like Spielberg, people like Lucas... You know, they want to see I, I look, I, I don't know if what they're saying is true. I don't know if what they're saying is, is going to necessarily happen. But if they want to see some more riskier movies at the box office, then make it for a really, really low budget and watch how it does. And if it does well, if they make a really, really smart movie for about five million bucks and it makes a profit on that, then that right there with names like Spielberg and Lucas attached to it, that can start setting a trend for more really, really low-budget movies that won't take much to make a profit at the box office. So if they want to see a change, they should be the ones to start doing it. Speaking of change, what about the... Again, I mentioned earlier how when they started releasing, when they started closing the release window between theatrical and home video, how it was for short-term gain. They're doing that now more than ever with the whole ripoff of each other. Like, Paranormal Activity comes out, then everyone has a Paranormal Activity. Like, the fact that there's still fucking found footage movies nowadays, Brad. <laughs> you know, th th that it's, they don't seem to get when it's dead. They go, just keep beating that horse until it's mush. That kind of goes to that, we don't want to take any chances. This worked last year, it'll work again. Oh, no, it didn't work? What happened? They don't realize that that dead horse became mush after Chernobyl Diaries. Which uh, wasn't even a found footage movie. Not really. But, but you, you've got that you've got that whole leaping on a trend and just not letting it die. The uh. fact that there are still... I've seen trailers for five found footage movies coming out this year. Everybody hates found footage. So why do you go to see them still? Well, well found, footage, found footage movies, you don't have to get a huge turnout for it to be profitable. Direct-to-home distribution, whether Netflix or DVD or whatnot. I haven't I, seen any theatrical found footage trailers since last year. 
Honestly, yeah, like the only thing I can think of, I mean, there's, oh God, yeah, there's always going to be some direct video found footage movies that you see coming out. But I mean, there's VHS 2, which I just watched earlier. That's found and, footage. And, but the, the only one I could think of off the top of my head, and I'm, I'm sure there's others that are coming out, but the only one I could think of off the top of my head is Paranormal Activity 5. And yeah, that makes money because it's, part of a successful franchise yeah, which also not... goes to the whole saw thing from before that, that nah, they stopped know, making saw movies though yeah because they finally stopped being profit okay it goes back to something roger corman once said why is it always the independence why is it always the guys on the fringe that are doing the risky things or, or in roger corman's case that i'm going to bring up the fiscally smart things that Hollywood, the big budget studios, eventually go and jump on then, but yet they would not give these these low budget fringe filmmakers the time of day, but they're perfectly willing to steal their ideas. For instance, the Carnosaur series that, that New Concord put out. Roger Corman said Carnosaur 1 had X budget. Carnosaur 2 had a smaller budget, but it made more money. We stopped at Carnosaur 4 because it made back its budget and that was it. So we stopped doing it. The studios don't seem to get that. They just go, keep making them, maybe we'll find a surprise hit in here. So why is it the fringe that comes up with all the the, the uniqueness and, and the risks? They, they take all the risks and the studios get all the cash in. That well, has always pissed me off. Those fringes, those they don't have as great of investment as the studio does. I mean, those Carnosaur movies, you're not investing two hundred and fifty million dollars into it. You have because to he's the... smart. Not that he knows he's not going to make a profit if he puts two hundred and fifty million dollars into a film. Well, exactly. At two hundred at two hundred thousand dollars, you're almost guaranteed a profit. Exactly. So at $200,000, you can take all the risks you want. Some will hit, some won't. You'll still profit in the end. At $250 million, you have to take the safe bet or you're going to lose huge. And yeah. I think that's I... the problem, that they play it too safe. And that's eventually what I, I think the mediocrity is going to set in. And that is what is going to hurt them. What are you talking in the future sense for? It's been that way for like the past 10 years. More mediocrity. You're gonna. That means you're gonna start hating movies. <laughs> what? Like I like I don't now. <laughs> no, I, I agree with everything that Alex just said. I think that there can be room for both. Quite honestly, yeah. If you want to spend two hundred, three hundred million dollars on something and make it a safe bet, a safe choice. Okay, fine. Uh, some of those movies are fun. Some of those movies are fun popcorn films. But you can also have like a five or ten million dollar movie that maybe takes a bigger risk, throw that in theaters, and you you might make a little bit of a profit on that. Um, or you it, might not. Look at Monster from last year, the 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 Sid Haig one. Oh, Creature. I'm, creature. Sorry, yeah, Creature. I'm pretty sure Creature was one of those. It was always going to be direct to video, but they had to at least have some theatrical for union reasons, like Zizix Road. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, Creature got, like, freaking no, like, I, I saw absolutely no advertising for that. But you have, like, Pain and Gain, which is a 20 million, which had a 20 million dollar budget, and looks like a hundred million dollar film. It looks no different than it would if that budget was a hundred million dollars. 
So, I mean, you can do smaller scale movies like that that look good. And in the case of Pain and Gain, it actually takes quite a few risks. You know, it's just got to at least make $20 million. So, well, as we discussed on the Geek Juice with Michael Bay, he's more in his element when he's making hard R action movies than PG-13 teenager movies. Yeah when, yeah, when you actually let Michael Bay cut loose and don't give him any restrictions, he'll, he'll go very over the top in the right ways. I mean, do you think that, that the way Hollywood operates is un, unsustainable? Do you think that it's, you know, with the way of their creative accounting, you know, how Spider-Man, I can't remember if it was Spider-Man 1 or 2, made a billion dollars, and yet due to Hollywood accounting, it never made a profit? Do you think that uh, is sustainable, or they're just kind of asking for a crash to happen? I think it's sustainable, because I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it's been for a half a century. Yeah, I, 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 I was just going to say, I, I think it'll be just fine. It will always be sustainable. I don't know. Maybe I have, and I know this is going to sound weird coming from me, maybe I have too much faith in the movie going public that I believe they will get sick of being talked down to, they will just kind of stop going. Well, so, if if it's a bad product, if it's a really, really, if for the most part, yeah, if it's a really, really, really bad example of a popcorn movie, yeah, you can certainly hope for that. But when it's a good example, I've got no problem with the fact that movies like the Marvel flicks or you know Batman and stuff like that makes. I may not makes, like those, but I'm not I'm not putting those in with the talking down to you. I mean. Like Green Lantern, which thankfully failed, that was a movie that talked down to the audience. And Transformers. The, the Transformers movies, which made so much money, it's ridiculous. You've got you've got like the Paranormal Activity movies. Everyone goes to them, and all they do is complain about how much they were, how worse they were than the previous one. Then why do you keep going to them? Oh, I think it's curiosity factor. In the case of Transformers, Transformers has a built-in audience so that no matter how much the previous movie might have sucked, they're still going to go see a new Transformers movie. Publicity. Well, there's that, too. There's certainly a lot of publicity for it, but Transformers does have a built-in audience, and at this point, at this point, so does Paranormal Activity, because people who go see Paranormal Activity, they go see it for the jump scares. They go see it for, like, you know, to go see on a on a really crowded theater late night showing where everyone's going to scream when something jumps out at, at the camera, you know, that's, that's why they go see that. So cases like that certainly have their own built in audience that are still going to see it regardless of the, and you know, what? I'm guilty of that too. I am because the first few saw movies I liked and then I liked a the lot first three. Yeah. The, the first few I liked, and then when it got to some later ones, I was starting to like them even even less. But even by the time the seventh one came around, the last one, I mean, yeah, I saw it for the site, but I still would have been there opening weekend to see it. Because at that point, it was almost just tradition. Like, hey, it's October, a new Saw movie. Let's get let's get Brian and Dave. Let's go to the theater and go see this movie because at that point it was just tradition and it has a built-in audience for that that's still going to see your movie regardless of how the previous one was. I'm not I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing, but people and myself included, depending on the movie, are 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 guilty of that. It's it's an easy thing to it's an easy thing to fall into. 
But do you think the audience is starting to turn around? Maybe like with the rejection of After Earth, do you think that people just kind of went, no, I'm not going to fall into Will Smith's nepotism. I'm not going to have Shyamalan screw me over yet again. This movie is stupid. We're not going to go see it. There, there are. There's always going to be that movie that the audience will say no to. And in the case of After Earth, it was the nepotism immediately turned people off way more than uh, way more than Shyamalan being attached to it. Because when you break it down, there's only like two movies that he's done that didn't succeed at the box office. It was Lady in the Water, and it was After Earth. In fact, a lot of people didn't even know that Shyamalan had anything to do with After Earth because they kept his name out of publicity. I think after Last Airbender, that was a calculated move on their part. Yeah, I, abs- <laughs> I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. But for that particular movie, it was absolutely the nepotism that turned people off of that film. And you have that mixed in with the terrible reviews and the terrible audience reaction to it. Yeah, you're always going to, no matter how many blockbusters you put out, you're always going to have that flop of, of, the, of the movie season. And see, I was actually very happy when I saw that movie 43 fucking bomb, both critically and at the box office, that people, I thought, were actually making some headway and going, you know what? No, gross-out humor for the sake of gross-out humor, we're just not going to do that anymore. How many episodes did we do about box office bombs because you hated movie 43 that much, Josh? I know. You know I've, seen, I, I've seen movie 43. It was terrible. But, I mean, people rejected that. And the studios, if you read some of the, the pre-release on that, the studio really thought they had, maybe not a blockbuster, but they really thought this would find its audience. Well, Wow, did like, you miscalculate that? I mean, look at it like this. I don't think that the movie bombed specifically because it was a gross-out film. I think it bombed because it was a gross-out film that looked terrible. Like, it was a terrible-looking film. The trailers were awful, and the trailers for After Earth weren't very good either. Um, No one had interest in seeing it. Sometimes you can just tell a stinker when you see it. Granted, that doesn't always mean anything, because look at how much money Jack and Jill made, but so a bad trailer doesn't... (laughs) Does it really always mean anything? But, but people, even people who really like gross-out movies, and there are some gross-out movies I like, but you could tell by the trailers of movie forty-three that it looked like a bad example of that genre. You, but um, you've also got you've also got good movies that still bombed, like Tron. Tron had an awful trailers, awful campaign. And the movie, it wasn't, it didn't a bomb, but it didn't do as well as they thought. Just a movie that was mismarketed across the board. And I'm talking know. the original I... Tron, not not Legacy. Oh, oh, you're talking the original. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I'll have to take your word on that. I, 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 I was like one or two when that movie came out. So I was I, six. I certainly can't remember the marketing on it. <laughs> I was Josh six. only discusses pre-1995 Tron. Anything after never happened. I, I keep hearing that they made a sequel, but I don't believe it. Legacy was awesome. Shut up. I know, it made it made no sense, unlike that perfect original movie that made total sense. Oh my god. Yeah, I never said the original was perfect. I <laughs> hated both versions. I'll just say that. I, I never liked the original Tron. Well, at least he's consistent. <laughs> but uh, that's what I'm saying is, like, even Tron, which 
critically didn't do that bad, but that tr- you look at both trailers for that mismarketed across the board. It was clear, or y- you have other movies like like Ed Wood. That movie, the studio outright said, we have no clue how to market this. Do we market it as a biopic? Do we market this as as like a quirky behind the scenes comedy? Do we market this as a friendship picture? We have no clue who the hell to market this movie to. They could have just marketed the fact that it was Tim Burton and they'd have made money, but they didn't do that. No, and Ed Wood bombed at the box office. It found its audience on home video. The studio at one point, and now it's kind of funny to think of a Tim Burton, Johnny Depp movie that is unreleasable. They almost didn't release the movie because they, because of the marketing. Tim Burton's name had a lot more clout in the 90s than it does now. (laughs) Yes, it did. Johnny Depp's didn't as much, though. Yeah. So they kind of swapped in that regard. Yeah, but oddly enough, Johnny Depp's movies were way better in the 90s. Yeah, uh, they were. I, I don't know. I've seen Nick of Time. Nick of Time was awesome. Ugh, Nick of Time no, is wasn't. good. You also Nick had t- What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. I know, you got, Josh. You got to admit, those movies are better than the Pirates sequels. Or five. I have not, um, not seen any of the Pirates movies past the first one, so I think I, I can't I, tell you. I yelled or Alice at some, in Wonderland. Yeah, I yelled at some 15-year-old about Alice in Wonderland for like 10 minutes the other day. Of course you did. We're running out of time here, so what's your final thoughts, Brad, on the possible implosion of Hollywood? don't know what my final thought could be without just repeating myself. Uh, I don't think it's as dire as what those guys are talking about. Like, There's always going to be the multiplex. There's always going to be people who go out to theaters. But I mean, you're gonna you're gonna keep you're gonna keep on seeing a lot of blockbusters about every other week with mega budgets, mega million dollars, and they're not gonna be very risky movies. They're usually gonna be a remake or a sequel or like a comic book movie. But it's kind of like I said earlier. I think you can have room for both. I think you can have your safe feature, and then you can also have maybe a lower budget movie that takes a lot more risks and with a decent with a decent enough budget to where they could still probably make their money back on it. And I, I just don't think we see enough of that anymore, like we used to in the '80s or even '90s. So. Oh, I agree with that. Alex, final thoughts on the implosion of Hollywood. I'm just going to say that Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are experiencing some FJ cynicism, and they're just jelly that Lincoln didn't make as much money as the Avengers did. Did you just say jelly? Yes, I did just say jelly. Like a filly. Okay. (laughs) Alex gets edited out of every episode from now on. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) My final thoughts is basically I I actually kind of want the implosion because I think it's – it's like when a house gets too infested with termites. You just got to knock the whole thing down and start over. And I think with the distribution we have today with the internet, with you being able to shoot a releasable film on a, on $100,000 nowadays, I, th- I would like to see Hollywood implode and have to start this over from scratch. That's well, because you hate movies. Yeah, clearly. That's why I have a movie show. Yeah, where you talk about how you hate movies. <laughs> Where can we find where can we find Brad not a cynic Jones? <laughs> you can find me at thecinemasnob.com. Where can we find Alex? You won't even hear him anymore because he'll be edited out of future episodes. Jowski. Oh, you're just being jelly now, you hater. <laughs> Geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at the same geekjuicemedia.com until I quit out of rage. 
or you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can reach the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night. Hey, Mama. Come on, come on. I don't know. Come on, come on. This is it. Come on, boyfriend. No, no, this is happening. This is the time now. Okay. All right, come on.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.